The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast, where we explore various important topics related to ostomies and continence. I am your host, Sharon Osgood. I am a certified wound ostomy continence nurse and clinical consultant with Coloplast. Elizabeth Salta Gerald is a registered nurse with over 10 years experience in the area of spinal cord injury and disease. She is also a board certified wound ostomy and continence nurse. She serves as a member of our armed forces in the Air Force Reserve. Her clinical experience and interest has always been focused within the military and veteran population. Her current position is with James A. Haley VA Medical Center in Tampa, Florida. When establishing a plan of care related to bowel care management, where do you begin? Really, we have to begin with assessment. We have to determine the level of injury, which is of course done by the provider, not nursing, but that kind of dictates the type of bowel problem that they're gonna have, whether it's a uh, reflexive or if it's flaccid, are they gonna be constipated all the time or are they gonna be just kind of going all the time without a lot of control? Um, So that determines how often they're gonna have it, if they're gonna be on medications. Pain management has to come into play because if they have to be on pain medications, of course, we have to manage the constipation that comes with it. So um, once all that is determined and the schedule uh, is set for bowel management, it's when all of the rest of the things kind of fall into place and whether they're going to be daily, whether it's going to be every other day, is it going to be a suppository or a mini uh, mini enema or enemies as it's called, another medication is going to be needed or uh, in conjunction with digital stimulation. Is that going to be theoretically and ideally it should never take more than an hour but we're finding that a lot of them especially those that have been on it for quite some time require this bowel management to be going between two to three hours sometimes as opposed to the initial ideal of one hour. Again, it starts with assessment and that's kind of what determines which route it's gonna go. So you would say your first line management would consist of things such as suppositories, medications? Digital stimulation or evacuation, um, yes. Now that is that is for our, our true spinal cord, whether they're a quad or a para. Um, but when you kind of throw your MS or your ALS patients, it's a little different because those two populations, based on where they are at in their disease process, will determine also the kind of program that they're going to be on. Uh, clearly, initially, they're going to be going on their own. They can tell when they have to go. They have control. They can still walk to the bathroom and appropriately uh, defecate. But as the disease progression takes over, they may still be able to tell that they can go, but there's not much they can do about it. So now comes in 
Do we want them to be a little chronically constipated to maintain continence? Do we want to add certain medications? Do we want to add digital stimulation to somebody that can feel it? So it, all of that has to be taken into consideration. So what other factors, aside from, you know, what you've spoken to already, what other things do you need to consider when you're establishing a bowel care uh, program where maybe someone can't be independent? If you're inpatient, um, the staff will take care of, if it's uh, your traditional bowel program, the staff will handle that based on whatever the provider has recommended and ordered. If the patient is independent, um, such as some of our paras, they may be doing their walk themselves even when they're inpatient, and some of them will be very strict about that, and you better not touch them, and it's just their dignity playing a key role in it. Um, if they're at home, it's the same thing if they're at home. Um, if they've been doing it at home all along themselves, they're going to do it when they're inpatient on this, they're clinically critically ill, um, but we have um, occupational therapy that also comes in and helps. We have them uh, referred or a consult place if we need any kind of, even a small adjustment to how they're gonna put the suppository in because we have incomplete tetraplegics that are able to do their own and insert their own suppository through the aid of an adaptive equipment. Teamwork again. It's that team. So when this first line approach and everything you've done there, when that really doesn't resolve the patient issue to the satisfaction, um, what would be the next step? Five years ago, ten years ago, that would have been surgical intervention. They would have gone straight to anastomy once they've exhausted all of your irritants and medications and anything else that was available. Now, today, we can actually have them uh, go into a transanal irrigation system rather than surgery. Tell me a little bit more about the second line approach in treatment. So um, the transanal irrigation uh, process is exactly what it what it says in the name it's an irrigation normally when i take the system out to do my initial training people will see the system and oh is that an enema absolutely not it is not an enema at all this is a procedure that ir that irrigates the entire descending colon um, and through training it is not something that happens the first try of course it's it's a, it's a process of uh, irrigation to clean out the entire descending colon. The slow transit time in this population allows them for them to not have those accidents that they're always so afraid of. So rather than going from trying this, this, and this, and the digital stimulation and going over the OA to the other spectrum in surgery, this is a natural, it's really quite a natural process that avoids the extreme. It's done, um, it allows them to be done with bowel care normally in 30 minutes or less. 
So they're not sitting on, on a commode. For those that sit on a commode to process um, it, 30 minutes and they're done and they can be enjoying their coffee. I know that sounds kind of odd, but um, that warm drink also helps the process along. Uh, and we all know that once we have that first cup of coffee or that first cup of tea in the morning, we all like ready to go. And it's just it's no different for my my population. Um, they can sit there and enjoy that. Some of them just sit there and play games on their phone before they know it, they're done, shower and out the door they are. Um, they absolutely love this, how fast, how quick, no need uh, for those additional medications that they would normally take, such as their suppositories or the little enemies. Um, yeah, some of them will still have to take their stool softeners because this isn't going to get rid of their pain. If they had pain before, they're still going to have pain. And so those pain medications are going to be on board. And we know that narcotics tend to slow the whole peristalsis movement and cause constipation. So um, they'll still have to take that and they'll still have to manage it that way. But at least they don't have to take the extras. So how would you say transanal irrigation has impacted your patient population? Oh, in which way? Uh, <laughs> um, they, it depends on my population um, as far as like whether they're my regular spinal cord or my MS or my ALS, because I have all three categories that are using it. Um, I have quads that because their caregiver is the one doing their bowel care, but they're all, they have been afraid of leaving the house, even leaving their room, because they're gonna have an accident, because that's what they know has happened before. So they don't go anywhere. Um, my very first patient, very active when he got injured in his early 70s, um, and was staying at home. And then now, all of a sudden, two weeks into doing the transannual irrigation, I'm getting a call from his daughter. Says, My dad is finally out of the house. He's got his life back. First thing he did was go get a haircut. And I said, well, that's great. She goes, for the first time in years, he was not afraid of having an accident. He felt cleaned. And I said, that's awesome. You know, and for my MS patient who had that constant bloating and it, she was able to get her life back and become more active and she lost weight because she had that additional security that she could go out and do the activities that she needed to do just to stay, keep her disease kind of at bay almost through activity that she lost the weight, not the care that the transanal irrigation allowed it to happen, but it gave her that freedom to do what she needed to do. Um, so socially, there's a huge improvement. Um, it allows them to get out of the house. It allows them to be more social, to go do things, to travel even, because you know that's, that's important to some people to be able to do that. Um, so I think quality of life is improved for all of them in more ways than one. Medically, for some appetite returns, once they don't have that bloating and feeling of fullness and bogged down and it, that it, they get their appetite back, so they start eating better. Um, and when, of course, the other thing, when they're not bed-bound and they're uh, doing things, the, the skin nurse is very happy about that because now the risk for 
uh, skin breakdown has decreased. So it affects every single aspect of their life, not just socially, but medically as well. So how would you say over the um, course of time, as you as a clinician, how has the treatment process of um, neurogenic bowel evolved? It's given them an option that there was not there before. So instead of having all of these medications, you know, they're having a medication so that to, to soften their stool or uh, medication to bulk it or medication to counteract the effects of the narcotic and then they're adding an enema or they're adding a suppository in the digital stimulation, which for MS and ALS, just because they can't move doesn't mean that they don't feel. They feel and in some of the research has shown that our ALS patients, as they progress in their disease, they become hypersensitive. So to be doing that kind of invasiveness to them, to an area that is so, dignity is affected. We've gone from almost uh, caveman <laughs> to this, this is the future, this is, you know, to more of a caring way of handling something that has to be done that nobody wants to talk about. So in, in closing, what do you feel determines a successful bowel management program? My patient does. My patient determines it. Um, whether it's they're okay, this patient is okay with uh, just emptying the lower track every day, and that's a quick five-minute thing, but it's every day, they're fine with that. And so that's successful. If he doesn't have any accidents in between, that is extremely successful. If the three days a week is working and they're they're okay with that and it's not having any accidents, that's successful. It's patient-driven. By the same token, the more that these patients talk amongst each other, because that's what my veterans do, the more I'm getting hey, can I try that transanal irrigation and am I good for that because I want to be able to not have to worry. Absolutely. Another one, if they can do it themselves, and some of them can, with just an adaptive equipment like one of my other uh, gentlemen does, he went to our occupational therapist, then he's getting his dignity back in an area that is just so private. I mean... Who allows somebody to come in the bathroom and do that for you, help you poop, really? Uh, and he had to have, rely on his brother-in-law to do that. And so for him to be able to do this on his own, that's huge. That's success. That is a successful ball program. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bowel and Bladder Matters podcast, part of Coloplast Professional where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters. For more educational resources from Coloplast, visit us at coloplast.us professional.